going from dark to light, fear to love. And the kids really were like the perfect controls for me. Like I just kept my destructive behavior together when they were young because my desire to be a good mom was stronger than my desire to hurt myself. Although I had a hard time looking back loving myself, I could love myself through the amount that they loved me. So yes, occasionally I would go off the rails, but it was few and far between. Um, But as I got farther along in my parenting, I did start drinking more. You know, and I, I often, it's funny, I often used to say that I loved drinking when I was pregnant and everyone would look at me like I had 12 heads. And I'm like, no, no, I love drinking when I'm pregnant because I don't drink too much. Like <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to have one glass of red wine like you're supposed to instead of lots of alcohol every day. You have found the place to be. This is the Self-Love Peddler Show. I'm Sophie McCallum, your personal self-love peddler. Please leave the single narrative, airbrushed, beauty bot images you have been forced fed at the door. Here we examine our relationship with our bodies and the many shapes and nuances our bodies have. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Welcome to the journey. So I moved back to New York City. It was 2001. I'm selling real estate. I'm making like reasonably good money for the first time in my life. Um, I'm married um, and I had my first child. Um, And having my children was like, obviously it was amazing for a lot of reasons because being a mom is amazing. But again, we're looking back at going from dark to light, fear to love. And the kids really were like the perfect controls for me. Like I just kept my destructive behavior together when they were young because my desire to be a good mom was stronger than my desire to hurt myself. Although I had a hard time looking back loving myself, I could love myself through the amount that they loved me. So yes, occasionally I would go off the rails, but it was few and far between. Um, But as I got farther along in my parenting, I did start drinking more, you know, and I, I often, it's funny, I often used to say that I loved drinking when I was pregnant and everyone would look at me like I had 12 heads. And I'm like, no, no, I love drinking when I'm pregnant because I don't drink too much. Like I'm actually, I'm gonna have one glass of red wine like you're supposed to instead of, lots of alcohol every day. But fast forward through my kids getting older, like my second pregnancy, I drank a little more than I should have. And by my third pregnancy, I was drinking way more than I should have. When I actually went in to give birth after my water broke with my third child, I walked right up to the desk in the maternity ward. And I said, "Um, I don't know when is a good time for me to tell you that I'm a little drunk. Like that was literally my opening line. So my disease was progressing, and I had less control than I wanted to and that I thought I did. So when my first child was four, 
And my second was one. I was walking to work crying every day. It was a four block walk from my apartment to the office uphill. And I would cry the whole way because I was feeling this incredible pull to be with them. Remember, my real estate job was just chasing dollar signs, which fulfills one small part of your being. So um, while a lot of people can find a way to work and parent and keep it all together, I just was going from this like incredibly emotional, love-filled like pull of my kids to this like paycheck. And um, my ex-husband like was amazing and said, if you want to be with the kids, we'll make it work. We trim the fat. I left my job, and to this day, it was one of my biggest luxuries. And the first year that I didn't work was the longest year of my life because I went from, like, being on my BlackBerry and parenting and trying to, like, wheel and deal and be a good mom at the same time. It was so frenetic that, like, time had no value. It would just, like, it would just go. And I remember when I dropped my son off at preschool the first day that I wasn't working anymore because I literally cut it off on his birthday. My then one-year-old had just started walking and he was doing that thing where he pushes the stroller and then you push the stroller. So he's kind of like walking the stroller with your help. And he turned in a direction completely away from our walk home. And I remember thinking like, all right, like we'll walk this way for a little while. So I went from like a very, very like, this is what we're doing now, blah, 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 to like, all right, we're going to wander. And so like time just sort of like went on and on and on. It was really, it was really very lovely. I am thrilled to introduce you to my newest course, Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. Your love centers are the main areas in your life that you put your energy into. Our goal together is to encompass these centers with conscious, compassionate self-love so that this boundless and self-expanding love can grow into the life we have always known we were meant to live. Someone once asked me, what are you waiting for? This one question sparked a light in my soul. At the time, I was living unconsciously, without intention, without awareness, without love or balance. Bringing conscious, compassionate self-love to our love centers allows us to identify where we are placing our energy and where we need or want fulfillment. Now I ask you, what are you waiting for? Join me. Join me inside of Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. So eventually I had three kids. Uh, my ex-husband was working a lot. And I was not drinking while they were awake, but drinking when they went to bed. I was drinking, drinking, drinking when they went to sleep. Um, I was watching reality shows. Bethany Ever After was out. <laughs> and I was... I wasn't, I think, was I depressed? I don't know. Was I depressed or was I just using alcohol, which is, let's not forget, a depressant. Um, but I, you know, I had mom friends, but they didn't know me well because honestly, I didn't know me well. I was still trapped in this, that circle of far. I still had all of this inactivity in my brain from the abuse that I had done to it as a young age. But yet I always like had pretty, again, I still had that like, self-confidence but not self-esteem and so like part of me thought that like I was perfect right so I didn't need to change a thing but you know if you can't be perfect and progress because there's a great quote that progress always involves risk you can't steal second base and keep your foot on first so like if I was like so perfect for lack of a better word it was really 
impossible for me to try anything because to try something, you kind of have to fail. And if you're perfect, you don't fail. So it was like this nasty little cycle. Um, and I adored my time with my boys, but it was my time alone when they were asleep that I, I couldn't handle. And that um, I was drinking through. And when my um, youngest son was a year and a half, he had a massive seizure in the middle of the night. And somehow I heard him from my room and I felt that I needed to be with him. And um, I was sober as can be that night. I hadn't had a single drink. And we went to the emergency room, and it turned out that he had idiopathic hypoglycemia, and his, his blood sugar was like 22. And if you know anything about blood sugar, that's like you should be in a coma and you're not going to last long. But we didn't know what the problem was, and um, we figured it out just in time. They gave him a shot of glucose, and he literally came back to life in my arms. He went from sort of like seizuring and like staring with like huge black pupils at the ceiling, zoned out to looking at the TV. Thomas the Train was on the TV, looking up at the TV and going, choo-choo. And like the, the, the ER doctor, who I saw years later on another visit, burst into tears. Like I burst into tears. Like it was, I mean, he was slipping away and like this sugar brought him back to life. And I think that's one of the moments I realized that, like, there were forces bigger than myself in play, but it wasn't until I got sober that I realized that, that, like, all around this evening, I was drinking. And I continued to drink. And I continued to not be an available awake mother at night. But when he had seizures and he had three of them, I was sober and available for each of them. And that is something I will be, like, forever, forever thankful so in life, you either like step forward and grow or you kind of step back and stay in like safety. And I was still in a place in life where I was um, staying in safety because I just wasn't ready to grow. I was running at the Y. I gained a ton of weight with each child. And that's part of like some of my body interest, which we'll talk about in another podcast. But I, I ran a lot to lose the weight that I had gained with each child. And I would run at the YMCA because they had a child like a, a reasonably priced childcare thing at the 92nd Street, Street Y. And I would run on this tiny little track in circles. I would just run in circles and run in circles and run in circles. And while I ran, I would daydream about all of the things I was going to do with my life, the businesses I could grow, the parties I could throw for people when I made money, like the songs I would write. The, I mean, it's just like endless ideas and like while all of those wonderful chemicals were being released while I ran, I would have all of these hopes and dreams and then I would stop running and I would let them all go. I would just like postpone everything. I was postponing growth. I was never taking any action. And I love this quote, doing is a quantum leap from imagining. Thinking about swimming isn't much like actually getting in the water. Actually getting in the water can take your breath away. The defense force inside us wants us to be cautious, to stay away from anything as intense as a new kind of action. Its job is to protect us, and it categorically avoids anything resembling danger. But often it's wrong. Anything worth doing is worth doing too soon. These are words I did not know at the time. I was so incapable of risking because I was so afraid of falling and failing, because I was so unattached from myself and had such little love and regard and esteem for myself. 
that all I did was think about swimming. All I did was think about all of this stuff. I never actually got in the water. So in 2012, I hit a point where I was like very, very, very unhappy. I was stressed out. I was shockingly thin. I looked amazing. And it's the one time in my life before the self-love peddler that I ever posted images on social media because I was so thin. And like that just tells you all, like buyer beware, like social media is perhaps not the standard you want to live up to. Do not compare your uh, insides to other people's outsides. But um, in 2012, I left my husband. I won't dig too deeply into that, as he is a lovely and private human who I'm sure would prefer I did not. But um, I can say that my own discomfort in my own skin and my own lack of esteem and my lack of ability to communicate as a grown-up was responsible for a large portion of my decision to leave my marriage. I had a lot of work to do on me. and. Um, that made it very hard to make that relationship work. At that time, my idea of having a discussion was basically winning an argument. Like, if I wasn't winning an argument or I didn't need to win, why would I talk to you about anything? Like, I just, like, had no communication skills. So all of a sudden, every weekend and often during the week, my kids were with their dad. And I am here to tell you that's when the wheels came off the cart in uh, regards to my alcoholism. All of a sudden, I had time, and I had time without my kids, and I had time with me, this person I was disconnected from, this person I was like a little bit afraid of tapping into because I think deep down, like under the sofa cushions of my soul, I knew that that like a bigger life was there for me. There was something more. I had a bigger purpose. But it was going to be years before I was able to figure out what that was. And just like any sober time alone with me was like I had that like nervous energy around why don't you know your purpose? Like what are you doing? Da, 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 da. So my drinking really exploded. I was back to doing things like in places I didn't want to be with people I didn't want to be with. It wasn't like, you know, super dark and grimy and scuzzy behavior. It just wasn't behavior that's aligned with the human being that I now know I want to be. So I kept trying to stop, right? I kept going back to those like, I'm going to stop, I'm going to relapse, I'm going to that like crazy cycle. Only the difference is it used to be I would say I'm going to stop drinking and I would stop the next day, you know, sometimes for a month, sometimes for 10 days, sometimes for like four months. But now I wouldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I was pouring myself drinks that I didn't want to drink. My physical cravings were super intense and like very obvious to me. I recognized that when I drank one day, I needed to drink the next day. So my physical cravings were getting more and more intense. Um, I noticed that if I had a drink one day, I needed a drink the next day and I had to like actually go through a little bit of withdrawal if I was gonna stop for any length of time. Um, it certainly wasn't like dangerous withdrawal where I needed to be hospitalized, but it was a noticeable difference for me that like I was having physical issues when I didn't drink. At one point when my oldest was about 10, he walked by me. I was in our kitchen and I looked at him totally unprovoked and I said, Luca, I've decided that I'm not going to drink anymore because I don't think it's good for me. 
And he looked at me like, okay, like, weirdo, why are you telling me this? And I was, I was telling him that because I thought if I told him, if I made a commitment to my child that I wasn't going to drink anymore, then I w- of course I would follow through, right? Because what kind of human doesn't follow through on a promise they've made to their child? So like a week later, he walked by. I was pouring a glass of wine. He said, what's that? As he had every right to do. And I said, it's wine. Why? Like completely threw him under the bus. Like, why? What's the big deal? It's wine. So I knew that I had made a commitment to him that I wasn't going to drink anymore. And yet I made him feel like the asshole for asking. So that was like a big dagger in my gut that I did nothing about for a while. Um, But that is a moment that was like, huh, gave me some food for thought. Um, So I would drink heavily when I didn't have my kids. And what would happen is I would be like the life of the party, and then all of a sudden something would trigger emotion in me, usually anger, and I would literally run. I would leave the situation and I would start to cry. I would walk the streets of New York totally in tears, angry at something, angry at someone. Um, My thoughts were so convoluted that like, I didn't even know what the anger was about. But I would cry and I would cry and I would cry. I would get it. If it was winter, I would get in an Uber and I would say, don't go anywhere. Just let me sit here because it's warm. Start the meter. Actually, there weren't Ubers really. I would get into taxis. There was no Uber. I would sit in taxis. And I remember one cab driver telling me how he had never had a drink in his life because of his religion. And just having me in his cab that night was reminding him of like how happy he is that he never had a drink. I was like, okay, great. I would go, hotels were always open. So I would walk through hotels again, like sobbing. It's not like I was going up to the bar and like having conversations with anyone. I was literally like, crying, 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 crying. I would, so there are a couple of friends I would call and freak out a little uh, when I was, when I was drunk, but they eventually stopped answering. Uh, I would go in the Apple store a lot, uh, that big one on Fifth Avenue, because it's open 24 hours and my phone always needed to charge. So somewhere there are like Apple security footage videos of me standing at one of those big tables, just crying my eyes out at two o'clock in the morning. If I fought with someone, usually my now my husband with whom I was dating at the time, um, the first thing I would do is go in the subway because there was no signal there. So like, although most normal people, when they're in an argument and they don't want to answer their phone, just like turn off their phone or press like decline when someone calls. Like I had to go somewhere where like it was controlled for me and no one could get me. I was literally crawling into tunnels and hiding from people so that I could cry in my alcoholic-induced depression. And when I would stop drinking in this time when I was separated and divorced, I would struggle in other ways. I remember the first Christmas that I didn't have my children. I was not drinking. And I didn't leave my bed. They were in Italy with their father. And I was in bed the entire time. There were like marathons of cupcake wars on on the cooking channel for some reason and I would just lie in bed and watch cupcake wars like I couldn't move I I just my mother ended up having pneumonia that year so we didn't have Christmas so I could just stay in bed I was absolutely paralyzed I was paralyzed with anger and depression when I drank 
And I was, without my kids and without the alcohol, literally not capable of getting out of bed. And that period when they are away is the only time in my life that I thought if I just jumped off the balcony, it would be over. If you are craving to go deeper on your self-love and body love journey, please join me inside my private Facebook group, The Self-Love Shack. We meet once a week to continue our discussions and go deeper. You can also check out my self-love courses and coaching options at selflovepeddler.com. Follow the link in the show description for more details. I leave you with this. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Sending you peace.